Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 12 of Sword and Spirit, a podcast by First Baptist Church of Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Today, we're going to begin discussing the topic of spiritual warfare by looking at its divine aspects and implications. Welcome, everyone. We're so glad you're here today. We have an exciting uh, conversation we're going to have today about spiritual warfare. So in the room, we have uh, Dustin Pierce. Hey, hey. Hey, Dustin. And we have R.J. Osborne, who's producing this podcast. And uh, before we got started, uh, we learned something interesting uh, about our worship leader, Matthew Duncan. Sometimes we make fun of him because he hates cold weather. So he, he has it like 76 degrees in his office. And, and hey, some people are like that. But we learned that Matthew does not like to eat his ice cream cold. That's right. Got to warm it up in the microwave. crazy. Who does that? (laughs) So he warms it up in the microwave, and then he drinks it. I feel like that's a sin. (laughs) Maybe he's still just a little cold. Maybe he stirs it up, and then it's sort of like a milkshake. Yeah, so Matthew (laughs) uh, got engaged last week, and so I wonder if his new fiance realizes that he does not eat ice cream cold. There's may, always those things. This that is something that he mind. may need to work through before he gets married. So, no, we love Matthew, and uh, he's a lot of fun to mess with. Uh, wow, 2020 is getting crazier. We've had storms, hurricane, uh, what else? An election kind of gone haywire. That's right. So, and with all this stuff happening all around us, it makes you wonder what's mm, going on in the spiritual realm. Something is cooking. Something's going on, right? So we really, spiritual warfare, it's so much that we can talk about. I'm so excited about this episode because it's uh, fun to think about the war that's going on in the heavenlies around us. The Bible says a lot about spiritual warfare. Sometimes we as Christians, uh, we are weirded out by it, and so we just avoid it altogether. Uh, Or sometimes people are too interested in it. And that's really unhealthy as well. Uh, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, famous book that he wrote. It says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to believe in their existence. No, I'm sorry. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Yep. And so we want to strike a healthy balance today. We want, we don't want to, you know, think that everything's dependent on our flesh, because Jesus taught us through the Word, right, that our battle's not against flesh and blood. That's right. So we want to strike a healthy balance concerning spiritual warfare. So today, the first episode about this topic, we'll focus on the divine aspect of spiritual warfare, how it began, Satan's strategies, and God's strategy. And then in our next episode, we will come back and cover where we fit in, the human aspect concerning spiritual warfare, the church, uh, our personal journey into it, our responsibility, and then our own worst enemy. So first up, how it all began. DP, tell us, where does spiritual warfare start? Absolutely. It's actually very simple. It doesn't take very long to explain. It all starts with... Satan and God. It all starts, you look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. Satan rebels against God. He used to be an angel named Lucifer. He wanted to take the place of God. He was prideful. 
and he swept a third of the angels with him in a great battle. And Michael, in this battle, cast Satan to the earth. And from that moment on, spiritual warfare began. And, of course, it really took a toll on us once centered in the world, and we became a part of all of this. Then everything really began to take shape. And we know for sure in Christianity, this isn't some fable that we heard and that's passed down for generation and generation, and it's just uh, mythology. It is true because in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus himself says that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so we know that for sure this really did happen. Satan really was an angel. He really did take a third of the angels with him. He really did fall to the earth, and Jesus himself witnessed it. That's how it all began. I wonder what that was like to watch him falling. Oh, man, more than we can possibly comprehend. Very cool. So um, Satan's strategy, you know, why is this important? Well, because we know uh, God's Word teaches us that the devil, he's against us. He wants to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to lie to us. We learned that this past Sunday. He's a liar. J.O. Frazier said this quote, that the aim of satanic power is to cut off communication with God. And so one of Satan's main strategies is to cut off our communication, our relationship with God the Father. And to accomplish this, what he does, he deludes our soul with a sense of defeat. He covers the person with thick cloud of darkness, Fraser writes, depresses and oppresses the spirit, which in turn hinders our prayer life and leads us to unbelief, thus destroying all power. And so that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to keep us from being tapped into the power that we have because of the gospel, because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. You know, the devil is afraid of Christ who lives in us. He's terrified. If we as believers start truly realizing and believing and living our lives like Christ is in us, that makes him afraid. And so he wants to do everything he can to stomp out our belief, our emotions. He attacks our mind. And three uh, types of schemes usually the enemy uses to attack us is he uses the world, right? Sometimes, you know, have you ever wondered you go on these mission trips, you go to third world countries, and it seems like demonic activity is more visible, right? It's not an unheard thing overseas to see someone who is possessed, uh, to see something very strange, um, demonic activity. But you come to America and you don't always see that. And it makes you wonder what, why the difference. And I think it's because in America, for starters, most people don't even believe in spiritual warfare, right? It's just we don't see it because sometimes Satan has hidden it from us because most Americans, I believe, doesn't even believe in a spiritual realm. They, they don't think about spiritual things, and we're already trapped, right? Our culture is already trapped by a Hollywood culture, a wicked and rebellious culture towards God. And so if most of the people are in bondage already— because of their own sin, then Satan's getting what he wants. That's right. If one scheme's already working, you don't need the other ones. Exactly. So if if you do not believe in the supernatural and you're not a Christian, um, 
then why would Satan want to give you another reason to believe in the supernatural? Yep. Right? So one scheme he uses is the world. First John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So if we're trying to walk with the Lord, right, that's our goal, glorify God, follow Him, be obedient, make disciples, then we need to be on the lookout that the enemy is going to try to use things in this world to distract us from our purpose, to slow us down, to harm us. And uh, so that's the thing we need to look out for. Number two, uh, he uses our own flesh. And we know our flesh is weak, right? Well, Satan does too. He knows our weaknesses. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so our own flesh, Satan knows our weaknesses, he's patient, he waits, 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 and pounces. That's why we all need to take heed lest we fall every day, right? Knowing that we're all one step away from doing something really dumb. And if we will live on the alert, if we'll live in humility, if we'll understand that apart from Christ we are nothing, then it's a lot more difficult for the enemy to stop us. And then lastly, another scheme. By the way, these are not the only schemes. These are just three typical schemes. He uses his minions. I like to call them minions. Oh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> demons. Reminds me of the little yellow things from Despicable Me. Exactly. <laughs> um, demons, a.k.a. fallen angels. Yes. Right? Uh, One-third of angels left God, joined Satan. And they are not all-knowing. They are not all-powerful. And they are not all present. They cannot be everywhere. But here's your encouragement. Jesus is. Jesus is all-knowing, He's all-powerful, and He's all-present. We know there's different types of demons because in Mark chapter 10, if you remember the story, the disciples were trying to cast out a demon. And they tried everything. And they were praying so hard, right? They were, they were really upset. Jesus shows up on the scene, and they tell him the story, and he basically says, Guys, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Yep. And by Jesus articulating that, it tells us that there are many different types of demons. And it makes sense because we know there's many different types of angels. Yep. Right? And so his goal and his demon's goal is for us to live a compromised and fruitless life filled with rebellion towards God. And so his strategy is uh, all kinds of things. You know, there's ordinary demonic activity, which is very familiar for us as Americans. Uh, I would say it is things like enticing us to sexual sin, uh, false truths about Jesus, false religions, drunkenness, bitterness, lying, idolatry. And here's a big demonic activity is I think he plants almost every time, not all the time, but almost every time people have suicidal thoughts, I believe that the, de- the devil is behind that, planting those thoughts, planning, speaking those lies to people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In my research, I noticed that in John eight forty four it says that Satan is a liar. He talks about how the Pharisees are of their father, the devil, and how he was a murderer, 
and a liar from the beginning. Well, how does Satan murder? I don't know many That's cases right. where Satan just comes right out and murders somebody right out in the open. He doesn't have that but, power. But he can absolutely deceive and get into our minds, and I think that's you know good evidence to support what you're saying here. Mm. Satan is a murderer. Yeah. Uh, other demonic activity. Um, what about speaking lies into people about their identity and their gender, and you know what's right and twisting things? Absolutely, um, lying. Yeah, twisting God's word. So, and then the extraordinary stuff, demonic activity, is the things that always really get our attention. And it's really crazy to talk about is the torment or counterfeit miracles or accusation or death or assisting with death and physical impairment. Uh, You know, uh, guys, years ago growing up in central Mississippi, I, I I knew about the devil, I knew about demons, but it was not until I read a book about spiritual warfare uh, during orientation. I was supposed to read this book before I go on summer missions. And I don't even have that book in front of me. I don't even remember the name. I think it was called Spiritual Warfare. Uh, I'd have to look up the title. But I really, through that book, began to believe in spiritual warfare. And when I started believing in it, that's when I feel like the enemy wasn't afraid to show it to me anymore. And so I specifically remember before I left one night, I woke up in the middle of the night. Something was on my chest, terrified me. And immediately I realized what was happening. It's a spiritual, physical attack. And I said, I was trying to say Jesus, the first part of Jesus, in my tongue. I remember it was like like a bumblebee was in my mouth, and I couldn't quite say it. When I finally got out the first part of Jesus, gone. And in the name of Jesus, get away from me. And it was was over. That's right. And the room began to be a little bit brighter than it was. And I was terrified. That was my first experience with that. And I'll, I'll never forget it. And since that time, I've had multiple times similar experiences, uh, and we don't want to weird people out. But at the same time, we, we don't want to act like this stuff is not real. Um, Dustin, what are some crazy stories of extraordinary uh, experience, demonic attacks you've heard about? Well, I've uh, heard about some really crazy ones. Uh, one I experienced was uh, on a mission trip in Nashville, Tennessee, we went to a park, and there were two guys there, and it was almost like as soon as you entered into the park, it was a bright, sunny day, as soon as you entered into the park, it just became an an atmosphere of just like a spiritual fog almost. It felt darker. It seemed darker. If you looked up at the sky, you could tell, well, it's not any darker, but for some reason, the whole atmosphere of that situation just seemed gloomy. And I remember we went and talked to one guy, and his eyes are glazed over, and I mean, he's just out of it, and he's telling us all about uh, the exact number of people who were in hell and all these kinds of things, Mm -hmm. and the other guy's telling us that he is uh, a reincarnated uh, Jesus, and that he was crucified, and he's been crucified in multiple lives, and all these kinds of things, and it's like, these two guys are clearly... Something is controlling their lives, and it is eating them alive. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Um, You know, on a trip to India, we would go and have to travel for hours in a car before we could find a church. We finally found a church. We get to interact with these people and talk about the Lord and pray with them and have worship together and Bible study together. 
And every single time we, we would find these churches, I would ask them, you know, the, the members, tell me your story. How did you come to know Jesus? And I'm telling you, like 80% of the time, they would tell me the story of how they, uh, they couldn't use their arm or they were crippled or they had some physical impairment and Jesus healed them. Yep. Some, some pastor showed up, some missionary showed up, prayed over them in the name of Jesus, and they were healed. And that was the start of their salvation experience. That's when soon after that, they recognized the power that God had over the devil, and they dedicated their life to Jesus. And so I just remember being dumbfounded. Just I cannot believe. like It was like every church I went to, somebody had a story like that. It's just a very different from, from our experience here in the South. So... We've learned a little bit about Satan's strategies. Uh, DP, tell us about God's strategy. Well, this uh, you're going to have to hold me back on this, Brett, because when I start talking about this first point, it's, he always gets me so pumped up, man. I might get a little charismatic in here. You're going to have to okay. hold me down. <laughs> but we talked about at the very beginning about how Satan fell from heaven. Well, in that same passage, just two verses down, the people in heaven begin to celebrate. This is in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, about how they have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. What is God's strategy? It is to conquer mm. by Jesus on the cross, by the gospel that he defeated death, defeated the grave, has defeated all these spiritual powers of That's darkness. Right. And that the testimony of what he's done in his word is spreading to all the nations, and God is using that to combat the strategies of the devil. And I think that is powerful. It is incredible to know Jesus already reigns in victory, but that victory is spreading across the globe like a wildfire, and we get to be a part of it. It is incredible that that is God's chief strategy to conquer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. Such a, a great, powerful strategy, and really, he needs nothing else. But we know there's even more than that. In John chapter 10, verse 10, we find out that the strategies of the devil are to be the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, on the contrary, comes that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And we know, based off the strategies of the devil, that abundant life is not to give us the world, because that's a strategy of the devil. Right. But God's strategy is to give us more of himself and what he designed and what he has created that is good. And so we're not to be filling our lives with abundance of the world, but the abundance of God. And so through Jesus, we can have an abundant life that is worth something and valuable and helps to spread the word of his testimony. Another strategy that God has is that you know we don't have to do anything on our own. He protects us. If you look in the Psalms, he is described as a rock, a stronghold, a refuge. The fact is, God is all we need to be protected. In Romans 8, 27 through 29, it tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And in that list is included uh, demonic powers of this world. Nothing can separate us from him. He is our protector. He is has a relationship with us that cannot be broken. In Isaiah 54, 17, it says that no weapon shall succeed against God's people and that they will refute all judgment. And so God, in His power and His protection, no weapon can succeed against us. No judgment can succeed against us. God is in control, and God is protecting us. And it's important to remember, He's already won. Uh, another strategy is that He has already triumphed. We know this from Ephesians 3.10, and 
We know that his goal is to triumph over what Ephesians and Colossians and even some in Revelation call authorities mm. in this world. And by authorities, he means spiritual powers that work in this world, and that is to make his wisdom known and to triumph over them. So God's strategy is to just make his own presence known and to show that he is powerful enough all on his own to defeat them and that he already has. And he just wants to use us in this process to help restore that relationship, have that abundant life, and spread the news that he's already won. And so ultimately, what's he going to do? He's going to send them into eternal fire. And we also know that's where unbelievers go whenever they don't have a relationship with God and they die and they pass on into eternity. They spend eternity away from God and in this eternal fire that is initially intended only for Satan and demons. And you find that in Matthew twenty five forty one. That is God's ultimate strategy to redeem the world is to take all this evil and send it far away into eternal fire. And then his final strategy, which will begin to transition us into next week's podcast, it's the church. In Ephesians 3.10, it says that the church is how God is making his uh, wisdom known to all the powers and authorities in this world. And so we know that God's strategy, and we are blessed to be involved in this strategy, it's the church. God is making himself known through the church. So he's already conquered, and now he is making himself known through the word of his testimony. And we get to have abundant life, knowing Him, walking with Him, and joining Him in this strategy. And I think that's just a a beautiful picture of what our lives can be whenever we align ourselves with God and we move forward with Him. So if you're listening to this and you are find yourself really battling with depression um, or oppression, or you feel like you've gotten into some stuff, you know, it may have come through uh, reading the wrong kind of books or, or watching videos on YouTube. Watching, yeah, for sure. There's definitely some videos that uh, we have not let our children watch anymore because we sense that uh, there's some dark forces behind them. Uh, and so if you find yourself wrapped up in some darkness, I want to remind you that if you are a believer listening to this, be reminded that Colossians 2 14 says that Jesus, when he died on the cross, that he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. In other words, our sin, right, uh, separated us from God, and something had to pay for it because of God's righteousness. And so when Jesus died on the cross in our place, he canceled the record of debt, and the Bible says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them through the cross, through the gospel. And God will continue to put these evil forces to open shame. And one way today that he's doing that is through this podcast episode. And one way tomorrow is through the lives of the believers in our church and believers all over the world. And God finds glory. He's glorified when his children realize, recognize who they are in Christ and they live in victory And that in itself puts the spiritual forces of evil, it shames them. It humiliates them. It it declares that God is victorious over them. Absolutely. So that's our encouragement today is is you um, get to work today or as you 
uh, get ready to go to sleep, I want to give you a, a familiar verse, James 4, 7. When you feel those spiritual attacks, remember to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And at the end of the day, remember, there is power in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's great power in that name. That's an understatement. So we love you guys. We hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. God bless you. Godspeed. Have a great week. This concludes today's episode of Sword and Spirit. If you like this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on all of our future content. Speaking of future content... Keep an eye out for our next episode as we continue the topic on spiritual warfare by looking at its human aspects and implications. Also, be sure to check out our website, fbcbsl.org, for more news and information on everything going on in our church. That's all for today. Until next time, bye. Bye.